Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come humbly yet joyfully in Jesus that as your children, all of us who trust in him, Father, we'll hear your voice and your words in the power of your spirit will transform us into the likeness of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So I'm actually um, speaking, we're continuing on the series. It will go on for the next few weeks. How to change, how to change, becoming like Jesus the Christ. And this morning I would speak on sin and Jesus the God-man. I know it sounds a very fancy topic, but stay with me. Sin and Jesus the God-man. Now, I'm sure you will agree with me that Adam and Eve have been blamed for all the troubles we have in this world. <laughs> if only they had not eaten the fruit, just simple fruit, don't eat. Of all the food, you've got to eat it. Now, see the mess we are in. We always say that all the time, isn't it? Some even go to the extent of saying a simple apple. The Bible never says that it was an apple. It says it, says it was a fruit. But a simple command, just one, obey, you didn't obey, now we are in trouble. And there is, worst of all, why should God hold us accountable for something we didn't actually do? Like me today, I wasn't in the Garden of Eden, I promise you I wasn't. And I tell you, you were not in the Garden of Eden as well. How is that just? That you hold us accountable Am I really personally responsible for the sin of Adam and Eve? They enjoyed themselves. I didn't. Now, if we understand how we are related to the first human beings and we understand what they did, then we will understand why it was necessary for the Son of God to become a human being in order to rescue people of Adam, Adam himself. So I want us to look at three things, and then the fourth is a response. How are we related to Adam and Eve? Or to Adam, meaning Adam and Eve. Number two, the nature of their sin, and therefore the nature of our sin. And then number three, why the Son of God had to become a human being. In Jesus. So let's go with the first one. How are we related to Adam and Eve? Keep that question in mind whilst I read 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. This is what it says. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For us in Adam all die, so in Christ all must be made alive. We'll come to it in a minute. And in Romans chapter 5, I'll read verse 12 and then verse 17 to 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, 
Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, two things happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned, when they disobeyed God. Two things. One is that they became guilty. They had gone against the command of the king, and therefore it was like a law court. They were guilty before God, guilty of sin. The other thing that happened was this. Their nature became corrupt. They didn't necessarily become bad people, but sin, this going against God's command had affected every aspect of their lives. It has woven its way like a river that is finding its way through cracks and had gone everywhere into the forest field. It had affected their feelings, their thoughts, their words, their actions, their inactions, everything that they did, however good it appeared, even the purest by human standards of their thoughts was affected by sin. And that is what the Bible calls corruption. We have been corrupted by sin. Guilt and corruption became our human nature. That was our human nature. And so what happened, according to God's command, Adam and Eve deserved death. We'll come to that very soon. They deserve to die. So that is, that is with them. That is with Adam and Eve. That is what has happened. They have gone against God. But yes, we understand all that. Why must I? I understand it for them. Why must I stand guilty and corrupt as they were when I did not personally or directly did what I did not personally or directly do what they did. <laughs> One of the th things children don't like is when you blame them for things they haven't done. Have you, do you have, if you have more than a child and truly one child didn't do it and you come and out of frustration you say, who did this? Not me, you did it. I can see from your face and the child truly didn't do it. What usually happens? He would or she would cry because I'm being accused of something I didn't do. Do I have the right to feel this way because God is accusing me of a sin some people committed because I'm a human being and I descended from them? He's saying that I did commit that sin. Did I really? Why should I be accused for it? I believe the Bible's response is yes, you did. You did commit exactly the sin they committed. You are guilty and corrupt in every way as they were. 
Let me go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 to 22. He says this, Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. Why did death come to all people? The answer is, according to 1 Corinthians, because all sinned. Because everyone sinned. But we were not there. Keep that in mind. We need to answer that. Romans says, Sin entered the world through one man. By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. So this is what we need to understand. When he's talking about the sin of the first human beings, when he's talking about it and he's relating us to that, this is what he is not just saying. We need to understand that we sinned in Adam, not because Adam, not only because Adam represented us, the first human being. He was the picture of every human being, and therefore, every human being sinned as he did. It is true, Adam represented us. Or it is not even just this. That because he was a human being, they were human beings, and every human being descended from them, biologically. Some people will say seminally. Because biologically we have all come from them, and therefore we have the DNA of sin in us. That is true, but that is not the only reason. It's not just because Adam is a representative head. He is the head of all human beings as the first human being, Adam and Eve. Or not only just that we have biologically descended from him. What is he saying more? He's saying that in Adam, you were personally and individually present in Adam. When Adam and Eve were created, every individual human being was personally and individually, as you are today, mysteriously, can't explain, present in them. We were present individually. Me, I was present. I was in them. Well, I didn't know. Somebody asked me, so before you were born, where were you? I said I was in the mind of God. But what he's throwing light on is every human being was individually by yourself as you are today. It wasn't that we were all mixed up in one big bubble thing and we were somewhere in Adam. Before the Lord, everyone was present, united with Adam in their humanity. And so when Adam sinned, I sinned. We share in, it, in the guilt. We you know, scripture uses when talking about Jesus, for those who are Christians, he said, we participate, isn't it? We participate in Christ. When you participate in something, you are doing a part of it. In Adam, scripture wants us to understand that we individually and personally participated. We took part in Adam's sin. We shared in the guilt. We shared in the corruption. A mentor of mine uh, puts it this way, Dr. Marcus Johnson. He puts it this way. Our participation in Adam's sin is real because our participation in Adam is real. 
It wasn't just some sort of um, mystical thing that we, we, it's a formula. We are finding a way to be united to Adam somehow. We were really in him. We were really in Adam and Eve. Personally, uniquely, as you are today, in there, somehow, before God, he saw all of us united to the one humanity. Adam's sin is ours. We really share in it spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, bodily. We share in Adam's sin. So Adam and Eve are not the only ones to blame for the state of affairs. Every one of us is responsible as human beings. But the question is, what is the nature? What, what is this sin that is such a big deal that has brought us to the state of affairs in which we find ourselves? So let me talk about the second thing, the nature of their sin. I'll spend a bit of time here. The nature of their sin, if we are really personally and individually present and in union with Adam, then it means that the nature of their sin is the nature of our sin. And you see that evidently clear even today. So let me take you briefly to Genesis 3. Only 1 to 6. Genesis 3. We know the story, don't we? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden of Eden? In the, Eden, in the tree in the garden, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You shall not surely die. It's not true that you will die. God says that to you because he is withholding something really, really good from you. God doesn't want you to become as wise as he is, Satan says. Satan suggests to the woman. He doesn't really want you to be as wise as he is. Now, what is at stake here? What is Satan going for? He's going for character assassination. He's going for God's character. He cannot be trusted. You think he's giving you all these things? I tell you what, he's withholding the best from you. And that is... For you to become, imagine you becoming as wise as God is. Then you can decide what is good and what is wrong for yourselves. Don't depend on him. Just eat it. God is not as the father. He is, he's not fair. He's not fair. This is not fair. He's not as kind as you think. If he is, why would he withhold this, this fruit alone from you? If indeed he is. And then the human heart believes this. Upon the conversation with Satan, Adam came to the point and said, Ah, actually, come to think of it, you are right. 
You know when somebody maligns somebody's character to you and you haven't seen the evidence, but you sort of think of it and th some things come together and you see, you start imagining something that happened yesterday. And actually, you're right. I remember yesterday, that is what is happening here. Actually, you're right. Why would God withhold this from us? Our lives would have been way better. Our lives would really have been way better if he had given us this one too. And so... Questioning God's character leads to distrusting him, and that leads to disobeying his command. And here is something really interesting in that. I don't know why God did that, but I'll suggest to you something. You know, you realize that he didn't give a reason for not eating the fruit. He didn't tell them. He just said, don't. Don't eat it. This is what he said to them in Genesis. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For whenever you eat from it, you will certainly die. Why would God not give them the reason? I think this may be it. If indeed they trust in who God is and God's character and the fact that within his nature is that he gives good gifts to his children and that which is not good he withholds from them. If they trust him then there is no other reason to be given. The reason for God's command is God's character. He is good, he is kind, he is merciful, he is loving and he gives good gifts to his children. God's character was the reason. There is no other character, if he, uh, reason. If he had given them any reason, oh, don't eat of this because it will take you to hell, then for self-preservation, we will not eat it. The goal is that we obey him because of our self-preservation. We obey him because of our self-interest, not because of who he is, and we love him and we trust him. He's good. He's kind. He hasn't done us any wrong. Why should we go against him? He doesn't give us any reason, but he's given us every reason. It is him. It is his character. Do we trust in his character? That was what they were faced. If we trust in his character, we trust in his promises. And therefore, we will obey what he says. But Adam and Eve, on hearing Satan, and this is what they heard, they heard that... For your own good, there is a wisdom beyond what you have. If you eat this, I tell you what, you will be like God. You will be like God. Imagine being like God. And then their self-centeredness wells up and say, yes, we want to be it. We desire to be like God. And so then they disobey God. Do you know what the sin is? It's self-centeredness at the heart of it. Self-centeredness, not God-centeredness, leads to distrust God's character, leads to that disobedience to him. You disobey people, you disobey a father like that if you can't trust him. If he says, sit here, and I can't really trust him, that when he says, sit here, you better do. He loves you. So, no, 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 why should I sit there? Why should I sit there? And then somebody comes along and says, you know what? When you sit there, he wants to control your happiness. Oh, yes, I can see that. I'm not going to sit there. And then I distrust his character. Self-centeredness. The self 
we are dethroning God and putting ourselves on the throne. The nature of Adam's sin was that. Putting self at the center of life, at the center of everything. We desire to gain wisdom for ourselves to decide what is good and what is wrong in our lives. They want to remove God from the throne. So the question is, what is our sin in Adam? What is our sin in Adam? Our sin in Adam is this. We don't truly trust God. I don't really care if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for the last 60 years or 80. We, in our nature, the reason we do what we do, the reason we stress so much is that we don't really trust that if I completely entrust everything to him, he will take care of me. That is at the heart of it. That's why we disobey him. If I don't, if I don't do this, somehow I will miss some happiness. And God's promise of making me happy in Jesus wouldn't be realized. It's all abstract. It's all not real. As for this God, I'm not even sure whether Christianity is true or not. Oh, we are beginning to distrust his character. This is Adamic. We were in Adam and we did this. And when we were born into this world, we practice it. We live it. We prove God right that we sinned in Adam. Every human heart has that problem. We will only obey God if it serves us, if it serves our interest. Why do we even give in church? Really, why do we give? We give so that good measure pressed down it will be multiplied to me, to me. What if you give to God and God says, thank you? That's it. Or he doesn't even say anything. Would we say, Lord, just for you, we just do anything because you are enough. We use good, good deeds as a means to our end. In fact, if you allow us, we'll use God for us. God will be a means to an end. It's not strange. It is our nature. It is us. It is our sin. It's at the heart of our sin. Why do we fight? Everybody is pulling the rope for their interests. Adam and us in Adam were always faced with two choices. Choice number one is we will love God and therefore be obedient to him out of trust for his character and his promises. That's one choice. The other choice is we will love self and therefore disobey him because we cannot trust God fully and his promises. We can't really trust that he's running this world well. And so we take God's place. We give God some parts of our lives and then we take the rest because this one we can control. We are more competent here. This one, why do you even go to God to ask him about it? Why then did you go to school? It's reflecting something really deeper in us. We will use God for ourselves if we have the opportunity. Self is at the center. And this is like that because we originally, in a real way, personally and individually, shared in this sin. In Adam, we are guilty and corrupt. The question is, 
to the last point. How can we change? How on earth can we change? Because we cannot change ourselves. The word of God says something. Can the leper change its spots? No, unless you, um, do we say, uh, I was going to say, and skin. We don't and skin the leper. You de-skin the leper. <laughs> because the leper cannot change its spot. How can we change this? It's actually God's question. It's not our question. Because God was faced with a dilemma. To put it humanly, as one theologian of old has put it, he was faced with a dilemma. If you sin, God is faithful. You will face death. And so death we must. Death is now part of us. His judgment is upon us. And then the second uh, part of the dilemma is this. God is faithful. He will not let sin and death have the final word over his creation. Over the people he has created in his image. What must he do? He solves the two problems. At the same time. The third point. Why the son of God had to become a human being. Therefore, Romans says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. Who is the other one man? Jesus Christ, he says. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act of Jesus resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. I know this is plenty. It is too plenty. But let me try to beat it down and try to make sense a little bit out of this. There is no human being who can change our nature. It's got to take God. God must act. No matter how hard we try and how religious we are, we can't change us from inside out. This nature, it doesn't mean we can't correct some bad behavior about ourselves. No, that's not what I'm talking about. The very nature of who we are from within out cannot be changed by a human being. God must act. No one can make and in God acting, think about this. No human being can can force God to become a human being. We are told that the word, the eternal word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and blood. And then he lived among us. He became a human being and lived among us. Why? Because God is acting through him so that just as we were united with Adam and sinned the sin of Adam, we will be united with another human being, the second Adam, and have the righteousness of that human being because we are personally united with him by faith. And that is why God, the Son of God, had to come in a human form 
so that it is possible now for human beings to be united to personally, individually find themselves in Jesus, the human being, by faith. The second Adam. And then his righteousness, which he places on us, begins to change us from inside out. If Jesus didn't join our humanity to himself, there is no way we can say that Jesus is our Savior. The sin we committed did this, brothers and sisters. Sin brought upon humanity the wrath of God, separation from God, death, and I'm talking about eternal death. When the Son of God became a human being and took on flesh and blood, he took on himself, what do we see? The wrath of God, the separation from God, and death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that forsakenness is not his, it is ours. But because he has joined himself and become a human being, he experiences everything that we have to go through. But thank God for the resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead, in him by faith, and as we are joined to that human being when he was raised from the dead, we are raised to victory to overcome the original sin in us and sin practice in our lives. We were united in Adam, to Adam, to sin and destruction. We are united to Jesus by faith, to life. Eternal life. That is what it means to call Jesus, Jesus is my savior. It's not abstract. The human being who is God, who draws me in as I trust in him and unites me to himself and changes me as a result. Took on the penalty that I deserve, that Adam deserves, that we deserve in Adam. Now, by faith, we participate in another thing. We participate in the victory of Jesus through the cross. You know the reformer, the German reformer Martin Luther? He puts it like this. For if Christ is bridegroom, we call Christ the bridegroom of the church. If Christ is bridegroom, he must take upon himself all the things which are the brides and bestowed upon her, the bride, the things that are his. The bridegroom will take upon himself the things that are for the bride. And then he puts on the bride the things that are his. If he gives her his body and his very self, how shall he not give her all that is his? He gives everything. And if he takes the body of the bride, how shall he not take all that is hers as well? Now let me explain. In our African tradition... When you're going to marry a woman, not the one we do at church, the one we do at home, you, the man, you go with items, isn't it? Gift items. You're not buying her. You go with these gift items that are yours, supposedly. Well, people might have given them to you as a gift. Who cares? But you take them as yours. Never go and tell your father-in-law that this person gave it to me as a gift. That's why I'm bringing it. That will be the end of all the arrangements. But you take it as yours. And what do you do? The idea is that we say it in tree, right? 
I'm going to beautify her. That's basically what it means. And so the man, the, the groom comes and beautifies with everything that I am and everything that I have. And then she goes with you to your home. And when she is going with you to your home, what it means is that she takes everything that is hers from her parents' home and then becomes yours, whether or not you like it. Jesus, the groom. When we are united with him as a human representative and as our head and personally in him, everything that he is and everything that he has, all the benefits in Jesus, he places on us, in us. That's why we're able to change. And then everything that is ours, and they are not very nice. They are not very pretty all the time. All the sin and shortcomings and weakness, he takes upon himself. At the cross, he changes us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we will become the righteousness of God. So how do we respond so that we finish? I want you to imagine this. Let's all go into imagination. Don't imagine your lunch for a moment. I know minds are traveling. You're thinking of when is the service going to end so that I'll go home and have lunch. We'll come there. Please don't sleep. Imagine that our sin against God is our distrust of who he is and what he says. That's why we disobey him. Imagine that this sin is actually our rebellion against him as king. We want to remove him from the center of life and of the universe and take that place. Imagine that we don't want to have God really, really, really as the center of our work life and marriage and finances and education and parenting and emotions. Imagine that we want to be our own gods, as wise as God is in our own eyes and unwilling, unwilling to trust him with all of our lives completely. This imagination is true of us, of our hearts. But imagine the second one. Imagine that in spite of deserving death, yet God goes to the uttermost. He goes to the everywhere. I remember when I first, uh, when Gifty and I were dating, when I wanted to marry her. Those of you who know the geography of Accra, I lived at Awosh then. She lived at Taifa. And I would go, take dropping. If you know what dropping is, you charter a taxi. Spend all the time with her. Forget that there is something called watch or time. And before I knew it, it was 1 a.m. or 12 midnight. And I have to walk back. I'm looking for a car. There is no car. I said, no, don't worry. I'll walk. <laughs> and then I will walk that distance. It's a lady I love. I'll go to any extent if it means seeing you and walking back home and being grumpy to my mother because I've walked home from going after my love. Imagine that God will go to whatever extent in spite of, she hadn't done me any wrong. And God did this to bring you to Jesus. What do you think your response should be? What do you think? Somebody. What do you think your response should be? Sorry. Trust. 
Gratitude. What else? Oh, please. I'm finishing, I promise you. What else should it be? Trust. What else? Love. What else? Obedience. Yes. Deep love. Worship and praise and thanks. He went to this extent in spite of going against him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The response is exactly what you have said. But let me add one more response. If our union with Adam would do this to us, and by faith in Jesus, the human being, who is God, will transform us completely. You know how we will change in this life? It is by practicing daily, asking Jesus to take more of you. If union with you would do this to me, then please feel me. Let Christ dwell in me richly. Let him take my mind. Let him take my education, my finances, my marriage, everything about me. Please, I surrender it. Unite yourself completely with me completely. That I may be transformed to become like you. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sent for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray. And Father, we pray that help us to respond well. Let Christ dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name, amen.